Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, Writing Wrongs. My name is Bill Myers, and I'm a lawyer and an author, and I interview other authors and other lawyers, and sometimes, as today, I have the honor of interviewing someone else who's both a lawyer and a writer, and his name is Ed Rucker. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing real well, Bill. It's good to be here. And it's good to have you on the show. I'm going to be asking you some questions about your uh, current book, Justice Makes a Killing, a little bit about the previous book, The Inevitable Witness. And what I want to do, though, is start with your legal career. I've read up on your legal career, Ed, and you were a pretty high-power criminal defense attorney. I read that you represented William Harris, who was a member of the Symbionese Liberation Army, who kidnapped Patty Hearst. You also represented Eddie Nash, who was a nightclub owner, who was portrayed in the film Boogie Nights. And you represented John Orr, the greatest serial arsonist in American history. So you were a very serious player, and it's a real privilege to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. But uh, in addition to those cases, I tried over 200 jury trials, including 13 death penalty cases. Uh, so I had a good chance to see how the system works. Yeah, so you know your way around a courtroom. Tell me how that helped you writing the novels. Well, it was essential because the old adage that you write about what you know, and I knew about criminal trials. Uh, so it didn't require any research in the sense of how they function. Uh, and it enabled me, hopefully, uh, to spin a yarn that uh, could touch on various aspects of the criminal justice system, both the strengths and the weaknesses, uh, by following a criminal defense lawyer through a high-pressure trial. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about what it's like as a criminal defense attorney when you are in the midst of trial, when the witnesses are on the stand, when your client's on the stand. What does it feel like? What are you thinking? Well, it's... Uh, a, a jury trial, particularly a criminal trial, uh, where your client is facing serious uh, repercussions if he's convicted, is like a pressure cooker. Uh, it's very intense. Uh, you've spent time with this client. Uh, you feel that this is your one chance to deal with a witness. There are no redos uh, in a jury trial. So each time you stand up, each witness that you face is going to be the first and last time you can do that. And the information that you need to get has to be accomplished then. In criminal law, you don't have a chance to take a deposition or get an insight as to what a witness is going to say. 
they may make a statement to the police. It's written down in very general terms. But you have to get in there and ask the questions to elicit the information you want. But it's like walking through a minefield because you don't want to step on something that hurts your client. Uh, so it's very stressful. You lose a lot of sleep. Uh, right. But it's also very exhilarating. I have to be honest. There's there's uh, perhaps the points in your life where you feel the most alive is when you're in a high-pressure jury trial. I've heard it said by some criminal defense attorneys that the most frightening client to represent is a client whom you believe, truly believe, to be innocent. Would you agree with that? Uh, that's absolutely. That is absolutely true. Uh, and it doesn't, it never affected the amount of work I put into a case. If I represented somebody who, if you weighed the evidence objectively, there was a good probability they were they were guilty. Uh, I, I would uh, perform my role and my duties uh, just as uh, intensely uh, as if someone was innocent. But the pressure was entirely amplified if someone is innocent. In fact, at the, towards the end of my career, my wife demanded that I don't represent any innocent clients. <laughs> uh, so I said, that that's probably not a big dent in uh, the, the, the client base, so that's fine. Right. Uh, we have, you know, as Americans, we have a lot of faith in our criminal justice system. Which we should. Which we should, but in your experience, Ed, have you seen men and women go to prison who are innocent? Uh, I have. Uh, the, the, the design of the criminal uh, justice system is uh, the, the marvel of the world. Uh, we are extremely fortunate that we have it. It is the bulwark to protect citizens from abuses of the state. You look around the world, you'll see governments that use the courts to harass, prosecute, and punish people that they disagree with, that cause trouble. Uh, so having a strong jury system where you have a defense lawyer that requires the state to actually prove that a citizen has broken the law is the best guarantee that we will preserve our rights. Uh, so uh, I, I have nothing but respect for the jury system, and most jurors take it very seriously. So in that sense, it, it, it works. But at the same time, it's run by people, people who make judgments, people who are, uh, as participants in the, in the system, subjected to certain pressures. And some of the partici 
participants, like judges and prosecutors and police officers, are very ethical people and play the role that they're that the system designs for them. And then others, uh, the pressure for of judges to be reelected uh, make 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 them waver when it comes to uh, making rulings in the court. Prosecutors whose careers demand that they win these big cases uh, may be reluctant to maybe share evidence that uh, benefits the defense as they're constitutionally required to. And police officers who who are under pressure from their superiors to solve a crime and get to it, get it off our back. Right. Because uh, people are people. So, so people are people. And you can never design a system that eliminates uh, the mistakes that people make, even in good intentions. For example, jurors, uh, as well-intentioned and serious about their role as they are, will oftentimes take eyewitness testimony as gospel. Right, uh, right. And, and, and convict people. Uh, when, of all the pieces of evidence in, in court, eyewitness identification is, is probably one that it has resulted in uh, the most... Uh, unjust convictions that, that we face. Yeah, and I had a conversation with Marissa Bluestein, who's the head of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, about that, about why it is that honest, honest victims can make erroneous victim, identif- you know, victim identification um, conclusions when you know, the person who mugged them or whatever was right there, clearly in their vision, and they're trying to tell the truth, and, and, and I remember she told me a, a lot of different stuff about that. But what you're saying confirms that. Let me ask you this, Ed, before we get into the books, and I, and I do want to talk about the books. And I'm asking you mm-hmm. this because you do have such a tremendous amount of experience as a criminal defense attorney. If there was one thing, just one thing, that you'd be allowed to change about the criminal justice system what would it be? Uh, I would probably ask that judges uh, not be a... There is sort of a loophole in the law that if a judge retires before his term has expired, this is in California and many states, the governor can appoint the judge replacement. And Uh, on the ballot, that person will be designated as a judge, and it is a rare, rare case that people don't reaffirm a sitting judge for another term. So I, I would do something with that because it's not always the best and the brightest that get picked by politicians. And secondly... If we could have a honest, experienced committee to select judges rather than uh, going to the ballot box for the first time, once they're in there, they have to stand for election again 
so mm-hmm. that people have some control over that. But selecting the first time on their merits as opposed to whether they have some uh, mentors in the political system would, right. would, would help. Okay, thank you for that. Now let's turn let's turn to the books and let's turn to, to the second book in the series, Justice Makes a Killing. The protagonist is Bobby Earl. Tell the reader a little bit about Bobby Earl. What's his background? Bobby Earl uh, came from a small town in California. Uh, his uh, his father ran a asphalt paving company. Uh, His father was a hard man uh, with a quick backhand, uh, and from a very early age, Bobby was handed a shovel and every weekend and all summer would work uh, among uh, his father's asphalt uh, paving crew. Uh, It sort of instilled in him uh, a resentment towards authority. Uh, so he found a socially acceptable outlet for that, where he actually could make a living standing up to authority. Uh, and he subconsciously really enjoys that. And secondly, he was a competitive baseball player, so he loves the competition and the adrenaline rush of a good jury trial where he's competing against a prosecutor and there's a uh, way for uh, a verdict to come back that says you either won or you lost. Uh, So he tries to be uh, somebody who plays by the rules. He's, he's respected in the courthouse, uh, but he's an intense trial lawyer and wants to uh, really do his best for his clients. He fights really hard. Okay, so he's, uh, he's he intense. Push, I apologize. Go ahead. Does he push the, the envelope to the edge of ethics? He may. Uh, <laughs> he but, may? <laughs> but, but, not, uh, but, but not overtly. Um, he he doesn't tell his clients what to say on the stand. Uh, he won't put on a witness uh, who's going to lie. Uh, he 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 uh, uses his skills uh, as his his weapon, and he is a very good trial lawyer. So those are all his strengths. He's competitive. He's really good at what he does. And he believes in what he does. What are some of Bobby Earl's weaknesses? Uh, his his weakness is that he was uh, divorced early on uh, when he was younger uh, because he would come home. Uh, from fighting in court and bring the demons with him so that his first wife uh, never knew who was going to be walking in the door. Would it be her sweet Bobby or would it be the guy at war with uh, 
with the justice system, with an unfair judge, with a prosecutor who uh, had tried to hide things from him. Uh, so he now has a girlfriend who's actually a prosecutor. And he's trying desperately to put that anger that he has towards authority in a way that he doesn't bring home. There's actually a, a, a scene in the book where he's extremely angry over treatment by some police officers, and he goes to the batting cage and swipes the crap out of some fastballs to, to get it out of his system before he goes home and sees Sam, his girlfriend. It sounds like he and Sam, by by virtue of the fact that he's a defense attorney and she's a prosecutor, that their relationship's going to have a lot of, of tension in it, that an average relationship... It has a lot of bumps. Have. It has a lot of bumps. And it, at one point in, in this book, uh, they have to decide if it's just too much. Because on Sam's side, uh, the prosecutors and defense lawyers over the current years because of the models that prosecutors have been given by law and order uh, on television mm -hmm. uh, they, there's not the mutual respect that existed years ago when I first started to practice uh, that we had uh, different sides of, of the question, but we were both lawyers and do our best and afterwards go out and have a drink. Uh, now it's our tribe against their tribe. And for Sam, uh, the other prosecutors aren't going to really trust her and accept her into their community if she's sleeping with the enemy. I could see uh, that. I could see and, that happening. Yeah, they they uh, think the worst that she'll pass on information to him or right. something like that, which which they don't do. They're very careful about it. Right. Uh, so, injustice makes a killing. Who's the client that Bobby Earl's going to represent, and what's the nature of the crime that that client is being charged with? Bobby Earl is hired to represent a very prominent woman lawyer in Los Angeles from a big firm who is charged with a double murder arising from uh, a, the allegation that she's part of a conspiracy to help an inmate at a private prison, not a state prison, a private prison, to escape, and, and the result of that attempted escape results in the death of a prison guard and the inmate himself. Now, she is also uh, the spokeswoman for a proposition on the ballot to abolish private prisons. Okay. It's a daunting case, mm -hmm. a daunting case for Bobby Earl because there are several pieces of hard physical evidence that seemed to point to her guilt. In addition, there are some 
shadowy forces at work behind the scenes uh, working against him, including the private prison industry, which is a billion-dollar industry in this country and in California. Uh, They have eight private prisons in uh, California, and they use two out-of-state private prisons, all built on the profit motive. And the second shadowy figure is the California Prison Guards Union, uh, who uh, were the authors and sponsors of the start of heavy sentences, such as the three strikes law that spread across the country and resulted in all the mass incarceration that we're now facing. And in fact, the uh, Supreme Court Justice Kennedy, who just retired from the, uh, said in a speech at Pepperdine Law School that the prison guards union is the sponsor of the three strikes law, and that's sick because it is in their financial interest for longer and longer sentences because their their guards are the ones being paid to, to keep these people in. And right. with a longer sentence, when the new inmates come in, the old ones are still there, they need another prison. So we went from 10 prisons run by the state in California to 33. And now a prison guard with overtime makes more money than an associate uh, professor at the University of California. Wow, that's that's really striking. I didn't know that. Let me ask you this yeah. about Bobby Earl. In this book, Justice Makes a Killing, does Bobby change at all as the book progresses? Does he become more cynical, more idealistic, or does he change in some other way because of uh, what he's confronting, these forces that are aligned against him and this client? Well, he his relationship with Sam changes. But his intensity in court does not. I mean, he is in the book. He has his career threatened. He has his life threatened. Uh, He gets into scuffles with some police guards, I mean, uh, prison guards. Uh, So the focus is not so much on his character changing, uh, but so much on his private life that he has to try and uh, find a balance where he can still have a private life. Right, so he's not, he's not, uh, he's not going to walk away from this scot-free. He is at risk himself throughout this book. Absolutely is. Uh, Yeah, there, without giving away too much, I mean, uh, he's assaulted, Uh, he uh, is thrown into uh, a uh, mental hospital at one point. Uh, in an effort to uh, destroy his credibility. Uh, 
so there there are things that happen uh in in the ups and downs of the of uh him researching and and investigating this case it sounds like a roller coaster which is what real trials are like they are they are and it particularly it's i hope the reader by following him can also see some of the skill of cross-examination and how he deals with this physical evidence uh, that purported to point the finger at his client. Uh, so it's a full jury trial, um, and uh, it's got all the the pressure cooker uh, of of a of a murder trial. Well, it sounds like quite a ride. I'm excited to continue reading it. There's one, there's one sentence that I love from Chapter 4, and I, and I want the audience to hear this. Um, it's a quote. Always wear a tie clasp to an autopsy. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was hilarious when, when I read that. I guess the idea is you don't want your tie to fall into the goop. Right. Right. In fact, that is something that an old detective did tell me. Uh, oh, but he didn't great. tell it to me until I dipped my tie into the uh, autopsy table. Oh, so that actually happened to you? Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, it's great that you could take that experience and bring it into your writing so that, you know, we can all get a good laugh out of something that I'm sure did not make you laugh. <laughs> anyway, Ed, let me let me wrap it up with that and thank you again for being on the show and let me tell um the audience the first book in the Bobby Earl series is The Inevitable Witness. The second book is Justice Makes a Killing. And for everyone out there who didn't hear the first part of this, let me just tell you Ed Rucker was one of the biggest criminal defense attorneys in this country who represented some uh, very prominent, big-name criminal defendants, and he tried a lot of cases. So if you want to get a real sense for what it's like to be a criminal defense attorney in a high-pressure situation, read The Inevitable Witness and Justice Makes a Killing. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for being on the show, Ed.